Yeah, there's just a ghost in my microphone. I mean, this is what you get when you get it secondhand. Exactly. You don't know where that's been. There's probably a reason that my brother's best friend decided he didn't want it anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, haunted. That'll do it. Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is the Gem Jam, where we do an episode-by-episode recap of the 1980s cartoon Gem and the Holograms, because it is truly outrageous. And, oh, man, you guys, it's magical. We're going to Shangri-La today. This is Season 2, Episode 22, a.k.a. Episode 48, Journey to Shangri-La. I would love to know what the creative process was for coming up with this episode. I would assume there would have to be some kind of Indiana Jonesy thing in here, even though Indiana Jones largely dealt with Judeo-Christian mythology, except for the ones we don't talk about. Yeah, it's a shame that there wasn't any Indiana Jones movie in between Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade. But like on top of that, there were a ton of Shangri-La songs coming out about now. Really? There was Steve Miller Band... Don Henley, Elo had done like one a decade before. It was mentioned by the Sisters of Mercy, and I feel like there was another group uh, that did something. There were like four songs that involved the Shangri-La and were, or, and or were titled Shangri-La and about Shangri-La that came out literally within like the two or three years before this episode. So this is what all the cool kids were doing? Yeah. Hmm. So they basically just said, let's do what all the cool kids are doing. Let's do a Shangri-La episode? The 80s were a magical time. Did the entire decade take place in an alternate universe? I mean, there are some very popular theories. Did the entire human race temporarily relocate to Earth 2? The person who wrote this episode was actually Richard Merwin. He also wrote, and you're going to notice a pattern here, In Search of the Stolen Album and the Rock Fashion Book. So this is his third nonsense travel narrative. Well, he does one thing. <laughs> does it really well to varying definitions. He does it with a lot of dedication. Let's put it that way. So there's no other good way to start this. Do we want to just jump right into the first freaking line? Oh god, yeah, because the very first thing we get from this episode, before we've even seen the characters, because this guy starts talking during the establishing shot, is just this guy going, ha ha, let's all laugh at the silly indigenous people and their beliefs. Then the tribesmen came swarming at us, Waving their clubs in the air and yelling bloody murder, says a British dude. So we ran onto the culture's sacred burial ground for safety because they couldn't enter it. Ah, uh, we trampled all over a burial mound and the natives chasing me refused to desecrate the dead. <laughs> Silly people. This guy's name is Andrew. He is the worst. He's also British, so he's one of those characters. One single pro about Andrew and the only pro about Andrew is that he has amazing sideburns. Gotta keep your face warm when you're tramping all over native cultures. Okay, a few things that we find out in the first couple of seconds. First, this is definitely that studio that animated the Magician episode and the Presidential Dilemma, where, like, there are some nice small shots with animation, but it's overall like a train wreck of capital Q quality. I was wondering how come the quality seemed to suddenly crash. Also, Rhea is white in this episode. Uh, why does this keep happening? It's getting so that when there's an episode where she's, like, a regular skin tone, it's a beautiful relief. 
And also with those opening lines, you can tell that this is definitely going to be a sensitive look at other cultures and parts of the world often romanticized and subject to Orientalism. Yep, this is going to go great. Jerrick has invited this guy over for dinner because he is apparently a musicologist and she needs to find some new sound for the holograms. They're having trouble with their music and they're just not jamming lately. So he's here to help. Ladies, have you ever heard of Shangri-La? Those two statements are completely unconnected. That's like if I asked someone for directions and they were like, have you heard of Shangri-La? Jerrica responds with the most honest line in the whole episode, which is, isn't that some mythical city in Tibet or something? Well, it's not mythical. I know it exists. Yep, he almost got there. So Andrew talks about how Shangri-La is where they keep all of the music, art, and poetry that the world has ever known. So Kimber, of course, goes, do they have all the old monkeys records? Aja is insulted she would say such a thing. Aja doesn't like the monkeys. They've also, like, relocated in the middle of dinner to the exposition parlor. And after Andrew goes on and on about Shangri-La and how he could possibly get the Hunza people to take them there, Shayna says, something tells me we're heading for Tibet with, like, so much dread and, like, sarcasm in her voice. I know, she's like, oh no, I've seen this show before. We're going to Tibet. We just finished almost dying in Alaska and escaping the blood contract in the most grimdark rent fair ever. I'll just... I'll get my coat. Which I should also note, I did some minimal research on this, so I may be wrong, people who are into geography and things like anthropology, but the Hunza people are actually from Pakistan. They just grabbed a random Himalayan people. Meanwhile, in the garage connected to the Technodome. My first gem alert, says Techrat. Techrat has set up a gem alert that tells him when they're gonna fly someplace? I guess he actually did hack synergy or something because i don't know how he's getting this information about gem and the holograms flying to tibet tech rat invented the internet it wasn't al gore after all and then we find out something else very important tech rat is a red phone that's just for calling eric raymond oh our beautiful son so eric gets the call while he's in the recording studio with the misfits And he interrupts the recording session by walking in and saying, does anyone know why the holograms are going to Tibet? And then Roxy pipes up with, if we guess the answer, do we win a prize? And Eric's like, yeah, two round trips to the Himalayas. Come on, I'm serious. Sarcastic Eric is the best, Eric. I really like that line a lot. Why aren't all his interactions with the misfits like that? Uh, Also, the misfits in this shot have guitars with straps on them, but the straps are backwards. I can't tell if this is progress. So yeah, you you can see where this is going. Welcome to the Himalayas. Here's a Sherpa, because of course. Do we have any bets on what kind of ugly names this Sherpa calls Andrew under his breath and pretends they're terms of endearment in his native language? Oh god, so many. Also, the holograms have arrived in those same, like, wildly impractical winter outfits from when they arrived in Alaska, and they have no gear. They're just walking. They're just walking from here. And then we briefly see a shot of a goat, which I noted down by writing GOAT in all caps. We go into our first song, Shangri-La by Gem and the Holograms. Appropriately named. You guys know how much I like the songs in Gem and the Holograms and the Misfit songs. They could be like about something that's not this specific item. Like, who is he kissing? It could be about like infidelity or something instead of I'm singing about having two actual identities and dating the same person. This song isn't even a metaphor or something. It's just a song about looking for a mythical city. And it's structured like a love song, which is weird. Yeah. Does, does Jim want to kiss Shangri-La? That's kind of the feeling it gives you. 
Also, the music video is like, it purports that the difficulty in finding Shangri-La isn't like braving the dangerous mountain passes. It's that you just keep seeing fake cities that disappear. There's just so many decoys up there in the mountains that you're never going to find the real one. They do it with mirrors. It's a common problem. After the music video, they camp for the night. And I guess they decided to put on actual coats. So there's that. Yay, they're not going to freeze to death. For now. And Andrew's like, well, the Hansa village is only about a day away from the camp. Put that in your pocket. And then the misfits arrive. Who are also really not dressed for hiking. Oh my god, though, their winter outfits are amazing. Pizzazz is like this enormous fur coat. Roxy has 12 coats. I'm still not entirely sure what's going on with Stormer. She seems comfy, whatever it is that she's wearing. And, oh god, the character design on their Sherpa. You probably don't have quite a picture in your head when I say Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon, dressed in a level 20 WoW rogue outfit, but you're going to Google that, Ming the Merciless, and you're going to say, oh, that guy. He's got a skull cap with a widow's peak and everything. My big question, upon him being presented, is how come everybody the misfits hire always looks evil? Like, stereotypically evil. Does Eric go out of his way to hire them? I would assume that he's in touch with a temp agency. I just didn't know that they extended their reach as far as Tibet. But yeah, they definitely got an evil Sherpa, according to the way this character is designed. So, meanwhile, oh no, the holograms are lost. Because it snowed. Andrew didn't take into account that it might snow in the Himalayas. Andrew's incredible. And then they sit down to rest, because they're freaking lost. And far above them, a strange white figure darts through the snow. And you're thinking, oh my god, are we going to, like, have a thing here? Is there going to be some kind of mystery creature? And it turns out, oh no, in the next shot, it's a yeti. It's just clearly a yeti, and it's just here a lot. And everyone just kind of accepts that the yeti is real. Oh man. It explodes in front of Jim and dives forward towards her. <laughs> Everybody's like, run! And she's like, no, it's he doesn't want to hurt anyone, he's fine. Yeah, because Gemma's decided, oh, I heard something. I'm going to unhitch myself from the group tether and just wander off on my own. And then Jem befriends the Yeti. Well, it hasn't attacked me yet, so it's probably harmless. And then she tames a Yeti. And then Andrew scares it off because he's the worst. And then the Sherpa, in broken English, because I guess that's how we roll in this episode, tells them, Legend say Yeti can lead to Hunza village. And why is the broken English a thing? I just, this whole scene, Jem is completely unfazed by the existence of a freaking Yeti. Andrew and the Sherpa are like, it's the Yeti. Run, Jem. They already know about it. Meanwhile, the misfits have to scale a sheer cliff because I'm pretty sure their guide is messing with them. He says it's a quote unquote shortcut. He's definitely messing with them. Uh, meanwhile, the Yeti just straight up like creeps on them from above. And then he pops out like a whack-a-mole, which scares them enough that they all fall. Also, Eric, while they're climbing, it turns out that he's carrying all of their bags. He's attached to the luggage. Why are they doing this to him? And as they fall, Stormer, who is in midair at this point, says, We're gonna fall! That's not the commercial break. I realize we should have had two commercial breaks by now, but that's not the commercial break. She Gwen Stacy snaps on the rope because the Sherpa's holding all of them up. This guy's incredible. And that's our commercial break. It's just they're all dangling from this one dude. And Pizzazz screams, Eric, do something. Yeah, Eric's the one who's gonna solve this problem. Eric has, like, noodle arms. Come on. Eric does one push-up at the gym and calls it a day. Memento Mori, buy our dolls. And then when we come back from the commercial break, we find out that the Yeti is basically Lassie. So the Yeti uh, runs up to the holograms and starts waving and flailing and dancing. And they're like, we need to follow it. Yeah, that's what that means. 
Andrew's also like, we're making good time to the Hansa village. And Sheena's like, what do you mean? We're freaking lost. But no, let's, let's follow this Yeti who's flash dancing off towards a direction. And they come across the misfits who are all dangling from Mion. Oh my god, a real freaking line in this episode is, it's the misfits. The Yeti brought us here to rescue them. That's a real line. I guess that's how this episode is going. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Us coming to rescue the misfits is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Kimber, there is a Yeti right there. Also, like, I have no idea how this rescue works. Like, they climb down and then the misfits climb up. Pizzazz is like, oh great, it's Jem and the Wimpograms. That's a new one and not a particularly strong one. Jem is like, we could just leave you here, which is like way too aggressive for that weak jab. Okay, so like quick aside here. Basically, one of the first things that Kimber has said to Stormer since their duet and basically textual relationship as she's helping her climb up is, Stormer, you need to go on a diet. Wow. Wow, Kimber. Again, like this weird shaming about the misfits eating. And also, hi, weren't you two, like, basically kissing? However this rescue works, the holograms end up at the bottom of the cliff, the misfits end up at the top, and then the misfits ditch. And they reach the Hunza village first. Uh, an old lady asks the misfits why they're there. Pizzazz proceeds to practice a really aggressive form of cultural appropriation. It's not even like, let's share. It's like, give me your stuff. And it's also great because Pizzazz has actually no idea why they're here. They never found out why Gemma and the holograms were going to Tibet. They had no idea. They're just here. It's probably music related. Also, it turns out nobody thought about bringing acoustic instruments or a generator because they're just finding out now that there's no electricity in what's basically a collection of high tech in the middle of the Himalayas. I love this episode. It's the worst. So this old lady tells the misfits that they're unworthy, so she won't tell them how to get to Shangri-La. And then the old lady's granddaughter, great-granddaughter, I think she actually is. Yeah. The great-granddaughter's name is Lee San, and she introduces her great-grandma as Lo Wen. And she's basically like, okay, you can stay here tonight and not freeze to death, I guess. She's never seen people like you before. I don't think she's seen anyone with quite that shade of electric barf for hair. So mysteriously, one of my notes in this portion is just, Roxy is nice in this episode. Yeah, there's a bunch of times where, like, I think it's supposed to be Stormer talking, but they just slap it onto Roxy. Yeah, Roxy gets a lot of Stormer's lines for some reason. So meanwhile, the holograms make camp. They're like, oh, we won't get to Hansa Village until tomorrow morning. And that's just kind of that scene. So it turns out Lisa is like super bad at judging character. Yeah, she latches onto the misfits and is like, well, I guess I can show you the Shangri-La. I don't technically know where it is, but how hard could it be to find? And then Pizzazz is like, yeah, tomorrow we'll go to Shangri-La. And then she throws water on the fire to extinguish it, which is a bad idea. And then it just keeps glowing. The lighting in the room doesn't change. And then she just curls up on the floor and goes to sleep. So the holograms do get to the village the next morning. I am a person who reads a lot about disasters. Let me tell you one thing, and that's climbing in the Himalayas in the dark inevitably leads to disaster. Don't do it. This episode is a list of don't do it. Journey to Shangri-La, don't do it. And uh, Lo Wen is like, your friends have already left, which is like, oh, okay. Oh, oh, you mean the other glam rockers. Oh, no, they're not our friends. Never mind. <laughs> And Lil Wen's like, haha, yeah, my great-granddaughter's full of crap and she doesn't know how to get there. They'll be back. Or they'll die. Oh, by the way, Jem, you are false, so I cannot tell you how to get to Shangri-La. You're obviously a hologram. No Shangri-La for you. And then it's time for a song. 
You ought to see the view from here. Isn't this the song they played uh, whenever they were dropping the propaganda? Yeah, that's exactly the one. This is the Misfits song that was last used in the Music Awards Part 1, a.k.a. the first appearance of our son, Tech Rat, a.k.a. the music video that ended with, Oh no, my laser! And they talk about being fabulous, complete with the Yeti popping up behind them and being like obviously starstruck by them. So the Yeti thinks they're fabulous, I guess. Yeah, he like clasps his hands together and there's little hearts in his eyes. And then the song's over and Lisa gets caught in a briar patch. It's snow briars, the very poisonous, which by the way, I also did research on snow briars and the only place you find them are in Jim and the Holograms. They're not real. I don't understand why a plant that only grows in like the snowiest parts of the Himalayas would be poisonous. Maybe it was created to fight the Yeti. Pizzazz and Roxy go in to rescue her from the patch, but they get scratched by the thorns, which means that they are instantly incapacitated. Like they get feverish in seconds and like fall and the yeti grabs pizzazz and roxy to carry them back to the hunza village he like pops out of a trash can jetta is the only person in this entire episode who is flabbergasted at the existence of a yeti and also there's this bit where pizzazz is like hallucinating and she's like dad is that you as the yeti looms over her right in the feelings why would you do that so they head out, and back at the village, the holograms are packing up. Jem is in this outfit where, at first I thought she just lost the top of her hat, but I guess it's supposed to look that way. The Yeti just walks into the village carrying Roxy and Pizzazz. Yeah, and he just sort of drops it down and leaves, and then they're like, there's no freaking remedy for snowbriar poison. Except there is. Only the magic music of Shangri-La can cure them. I love the defeat in your voice there, Kit. The moment I heard that line, I was like, oh. Jem must have taken some freaking improv classes because she's just like, yes, and tell me how to get to Shangri-La. Jem goes to Loen and is like, you need to take me to Shangri-La so I can save my friends. And Loen's like, no, you're clearly a hologram. Only the pure can visit Shangri-La. So Jim's like, okay, look at me, I'm Jerrica now. Yeah, she like impresses Loen with the hologram transition thingy and the pink sparkly lights. And Loen's like, oh, magic, which, oh. She's like, what the crap was that? Take this map, get that crap out of my yurt. Okay, so besides the original three other members of the holograms, people who know that Jem is Jerrica, Rhea, the president of the United States, and an old biddy in the Himalayas. You better hope that Cool Trash Magazine doesn't decide to interview Loen. So how'd it feel having a glam rocker in your village? Also, there's this idea that you can only enter the city if you're pure, but then Jerk is gem for the rest of the episode. So she's still quote unquote false. It's fine. She's got a map. And then they take the map and then they go and we have this pointless like tension beat. Where they're like, it should be right there. And there's obviously a city in the clouds. Anybody can see it. Yeah, it must be behind the buildings and shrouded in mist. And then it's Shangri-La. Whoa. Are you ready for some weird drawings of people of color? So many people visit this mysterious lost city that they have a gatekeeper. I'm going to try to describe this guy and it's not going to do it justice. But let me just give this a shot. He sounds like Apu from The Simpsons doing an impression of Apu from The Simpsons. He's shaped like a Hershey's kiss. 
and he's dressed up in parachute pants and like 12 different fabrics and none of them match. This entire character is like super awkward. I'm not even sure how he functions. Like, I don't understand how his legs are attached to his Hershey Kiss body. And of course, everyone here speaks English. Jim begs Gatekeeper Man to come with her back to the Hunza village. And he's like, sorry, anyone who leaves dies within hours. Nobody ages in Shangri-La. What? This is not a magic show. This is a show that doesn't understand what stage magic is, but it's not a magic show. It's a science fiction show. Look, there's obviously some kind of ancient Tibetan synergy underneath the city that is making them all immortal. Because as we know, synergy is basically a god and can do anything. That makes me feel so much better. I accept that instantly. Also, like, since nobody can leave the city, Jem's got to pick up a couple levels in Bard. We'll teach you the healing music. He's just like, oh, why don't you just friggin' learn how to play magic music that heals the sick? And Jem's like, oh, wait, yeah, that's actually what we came here to do in the first place? To, like, get better music? So they send him to- do they seriously call this guy the Dalai Lama of the city? No. He's the High Lama. He's the chief guardian of all the world's arts. Hold on. Quick question here. How are we defining art? Are we defining art as something done for no point that seeks truth with a capital T? Or are we saying like any piece of creative media? Because I mean, I've seen some weird stuff on DeviantArt, man. Is this where they're storing all your old drawings of Ezra? Yes. Jem goes to see the High Lama and they have this like short conversation. Then she's like, you mean you'll teach me some music? And the High Lama, who's the best, is like, no, we're having tea. Now pay attention. Because he's already like handed her some freaking bongo and he's got some kind of sitar, I think. And so in the background, we begin to hear a chorus begin to chant, Shangri-La, Shangri-La, Shangri-La. Meanwhile, the High Lama is strumming on a sitar and Jem's like, I've never heard such a beautiful sound. You've never heard a sitar before? Jem strums a few chords while uh, the chorus chants in the background and after a few seconds, she's like a master of magic music. You're naturally talented, Jem. You're the best at Shangri-La. We've been doing this for, you know, millennia over here in our secret magic hidden city with the synergy in the basement. And you, you, white person from America, you came in and you mastered it in just a few minutes. Good for you. I hate this episode. Okay, you've learned it. That's enough. And it's like, what about the rest of the band? Yeah, it turns out some of them were thinking of staying, which I felt like should have been more of a tension moment than it was. Yeah, because it was, it was immediately discarded because it was like, no, we can't think of ourselves. I'm like, oh, okay. We have to think of the lucrative album sales. And then the Hershey Kiss man suddenly appears and he's like, you've chosen well. Shangri-La will always be with you. What? Was this a challenge? Was this supposed to be a tension sting? Did we win? Does this guy just pop up randomly after certain conversations? Like, congratulations, you passed the test. Yes, I hope so. Like somebody's in the corner saying, you know, I prefer fifth edition to fourth edition. And then he pops up and goes, congratulations, you passed the test. Dungeons and Dragons will always be with you now. Meanwhile, Pizzazz and Roxy are getting worse. And it turns out Eric is still in this episode. He's like, call a doctor. Lysanne's like, oh, it's my fault. They were trying to help me. And Lowen's like, oh, honey, no, no, of course not. It's your fault because you let them out of the village in the first place. I know you don't feel any better, but now you're feeling bad more accurately. 
And then the holograms come back and they just march in and start sitaring and bongo drumming. Yeah, we get an entire music video. Let the music play. It definitely doesn't sound like the rest of their discography, which is kind of nice, but it also doesn't sound like it's magic healing music. Yeah, and the music video itself looks like you turned on the Windows Media Player and you set it to the equalizer background and just random shapes are going across. While this was playing, I was like, man, if this doesn't work, Jem is going to feel real dumb. Let's let Jem sing her awkward song. And then at the end of it, hooray, Pizzazz and Roxy get to live. There's like this little moment where Eric's like, come on, let me feel your forehead. Let me see if a fever's gone. Pizzazz is like, I'm fine. Stop worrying about me. God. I actually kind of love this dynamic and I wish there was more of it where Eric is kind of sort of like a surrogate uncle character. Yeah. Yeah. He's not like your dad, but he's definitely someone who cares about you, even though you both hate each other. And he feels responsible for you. Yeah. Like, oh crap, I'm the responsible adult here. Okay. Well, I guess I'm Bongo. And so they just say their goodbyes. The misfits are like, hey guys, let's go find Shangri-La. They did it. And the hologram's like, ha ha ha, they're gonna freeze to death in the mountains. And the misfits do find Shangri-La, but then it like disappears. I guess. Because they're not worthy. So like the holograms have the cure for cancer now, right? Yeah, they could cure pretty much any disease now. So yeah, that was Journey to Shangri-La. And then they have to remind you about Shangri-La. So they play that first song again, but it's we don't even get that Lindsay bumper about like the next hot single. Because let's be honest, it wouldn't be the next hot single. It's just a stinger at the end of the episode where Jem sings about Shangri-La some more. It's not even like new footage. It's just that music video again. I don't know why this episode happened. We have theories. I don't know that it should have happened, but here we are. It introduces weird stuff. It also introduces canonical magic. And then we never use it again. The unseen epilogue to this episode is that from this point forward, Jem is in a post-disease, post-injury, post-death world. What a show this is. The Jem Jam comes out every Sunday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. You can also find us on Twitter and Tumblr. We are at the Jem Jam just about everywhere, except on Twitter, we are at Jem Jam Cast. If you like what we do and you want to support us, a like, review, subscribe, any kind of rating, wherever you find our podcast, especially on iTunes, is always very helpful, helps us get discovered a little more, and makes us feel good in our hearts. If you have some money kicking around, you can also make us feel good in our wallets by contributing to our Patreon. For a couple bucks a month, uh, you can get some cool stuff. Head over there to patreon.com slash the gem jam and see if something catches your interest. Join us next time for my favorite episode, Journey Through Time. It's the time travel episode. And until then, dear listeners, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this has been the Gem Jam. We'll remind you that a picture is worth a thousand outrageouses.